We're studying through the book of Ecclesiastes as a church, and I want to start with kind of a heavy question, I guess. I wonder if you know what it means to fear God, the fear of God. Because certainly the main theme of the wisdom books in the Bible is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in Proverbs. The fear of God is is basically the conclusion of the book of Job and Ecclesiastes as well. The second to the last verse in this entire book says, this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. But I wonder, do you know what that means? Do you know what it means to fear God. And I know, I know if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean uh, the kind of fear like we're not terrified of God. It's certainly, we know enough to know that it doesn't mean we're to be fearful in that sense, like a phobia, like, like we might fear snakes or be terrified of heights or panic at the thought of peanut butter getting stuck to the roof of your mouth. Did you know that that's a thing? It's called arachabotyrophobia. The fear of getting peanut butter stuck to the top of your mouth. We know that the fear of God is not that. It's not a phobia. But what does it mean to fear God? That's the question because our text today addresses this. It speaks to this. The fear of God becomes the main point today, the final conclusion of what Solomon exhorts us to today and ultimately what God wants to say to us, how God addresses us, especially pertaining to what we're doing right now as we worship God. So look at it, if Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to cover the first seven verses. This is the word of the Lord. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Let's pray. Lord, help us to do just that. Or to honor you this morning, even right now in this moment, as we learn from you. Please speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the title of the sermon this morning is Going to the House of the Lord. I grew up with the Baird boys who, along with their sister, make up a worship band called West Coast Revival. And they wrote a song with this title. The first verse about their grandpa says, Jack started something big when he showed his kids the way they ought to live. Said, money's good and money's fine, but it won't stand the test of time. Come on, kids, let me show you where it's at. Follow me, I'll show you where it's at. Going to the house of the Lord. Going to the house of the Lord. 
going to the house of the Lord to worship God. And the verses continue to honor the legacy of a grandfather and a father who brought these boys to the house of the Lord to worship God all their lives. Now the question this morning, though, is how will each of us approach God when we're going to the house of the Lord? And the thing is, Solomon actually gives us the answer to this question. When we're going to the house of the Lord, the first thing is listen. Listen first. This is what he tells us. When you and I are going to the house of the Lord, listen first. Look at the first three verses again and see if you can pick this out. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Now, the original recipients of this book, the house of God to them meant the temple. Solomon is addressing temple worship here for sure. And the tone, don't you feel it from the very beginning? The tone is a bit sober. It's this come to God with care as opposed to coming to God flippantly or thoughtlessly or casually because it is indeed the house of God that you are approaching. The temple was the place where God Almighty dwelt with man. It's hard to even wrap our minds around what this would have been like. That you could go to a place on earth where the glory of God filled a building. This is where they were going when they went to worship. God is a God of unimaginable glory and holiness and power and brilliance. And to go to his house, the place where God meets with man, should begin with, well, silence. Listen first, Solomon says. Now, he's not saying to shut your mouth. I mean, he kind of is, right? But, but that's not... The main thing, it's deeper than this. It says, let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. To draw near, to listen is better than to draw near flapping your mouth. This is what he's, he's saying with rash words. I think we're meant to feel the appropriate weight. I think a weight that, that you and I would feel in your soul if we entered a room that was filled with the glory and presence of God? How do you think you would act in that moment? I feel like I can still remember the first time going to traffic court as a teenager and that, that awesome sense, right? The being filled with awe and sobriety and for me, a literal fear of the judge, right? <laughs> who sits there in, in all his or her glory with robes and gavel and desk and distance. You know what I did that day? I kept my mouth shut. That's what I did that day. Maybe the 
the one wise thing I did during my teenage years. I did not enter in flippantly yapping my mouth. I kept my mouth shut. And I intently wanted to hear what the judge had to say. Look, if this is, is us in human interactions, how much more should those who go to the house of God be slow to speak and quick to listen? This is the point. Take care. Listen first, which means when you think about it, this means that the most important thing that happens when you and I go to the house of God is what God says to us. That's the most important thing. By far, the most important thing that will happen in this room this morning is what God Almighty says to you. That's why he's invited us here. That's why we're gathered here. Indeed, the glory of God does fill this place. His spirit is here. God is among us right now, brothers and sisters. And he's here to address you, to say something to you. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening for his voice? I can imagine a Tiny Tim situation, you know, the Dickens Christmas little kid. I can imagine modern day Tim is not strong enough to come to Redeemer Church, but his mom and dad return home from church. And I can imagine Tim asking, Dad, what did God say to you today there? What if the dad replied, oh, Tim, today was great. I got there and I chatted it up with a bunch of friends before we started, and then we sang. And I'll be honest with you, I was on today. Me and your mom were hitting these harmonies. It was, it was sweet. Plus, the songs were great. And then we, we prayed and heard some announcements. And during the break, I hit up our friends from community group. And then the sermon was about, hmm, I guess I, I, I was a little bit distracted. I, I, I can't tell you exactly what the sermon is about, but we sang again at the end, and the worship team crushed it. They just crushed it. It was a great song, loved it. And then we all got up and prayed and left and talked to people afterwards. You know how we are, last to leave, and then we came home. What if Tim said, but Dad, what did, what did God say to you? Do you see the importance of coming to the house of the Lord with a listening ear? When indeed it is to God that we are coming to through Christ. Maybe the accumulation of words, the rashness of words that dominates your time or drowns out the voice of God potentially at church is all in your head. I think we all know the the yada, 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 and the, the, the many words that will be spoken, song, prayer, and then even communication with each other, which is all good. All these things are good, we'll find. But maybe this flood and torrent of words just happens between your own two ears. Words in your heart, it says. It's so hot in here. Or, oh, I can't believe that family finally showed back up. Or, oh, great, not this song again. 
Or is the sound too loud again? Or why do the words show up just a little bit late up on the screen? Or this song is way too high to sing. Or this song is way too low to sing. Or does Eric wear jeans every Sunday? And, and is, his, is his hair thinning? Seriously. Right? Or, or why did they take that quote down from the slide so fast? I was trying to write it down or at least get a picture of it real quick. Right? Or it's better not go too long today. Or why are all these kids running around like this every week? And then you leave and go home. Words. Going to the house of the Lord. I think we're all guilty of this, but how sad is it if our experience of gathering together as the people of God to worship God gets so diluted that we don't even remember that we have come to meet with God and to hear from him. Now, God may speak something to you during worship, if you're listening, as we confessionally sing things that are true. God might break into that and speak to your soul. He may speak to us through a prophetic word. He could speak to us during prayers or ministry up front at the end. But the most concentrated address happens through the preaching of God's word. When we are addressed, not by me, when we, and I include myself, when we are addressed by God as we unpack his word found in the Bible, and as we find week in and week out, his holy word given to us for our instruction, revealing his will for our lives, his invitation to each of us. And if that's true, if God Almighty speaks to us through his word as we unfold it and unpack it and seek to understand it and apply it, then how sad is it that we live in a culture that says, keep it to 20 minutes or less, though. Or at most, 30 minutes. When the average drama series on any streaming platform is an hour. When the average college lecture is 50 minutes, one guy studied the average length of 10 million podcast episodes and they equaled 38 minutes on average. Look, I preach for 40 minutes plus or minus. I got, just so you know, I do a little timer up here just to keep keep track. I'm not bound to this, but I preach about 40 minutes, but that's not the point. The point is, God is addressing us through his word. I don't ever imagine Moses asking God at any of those encounters to wrap it up. (laughs) Right? Like, okay, going long here. Look, what if we felt the same way? What if we realized that God has set this appointment with you for you and us together? to speak to us. Look, I may or may not be a part of the problem of paying attention. We do want to preach good sermons, but God is the only one who makes great sermons great. And it's that moment when he begins to talk to your soul. And there's nothing like it. To draw near, to listen, 
is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So when you go to the house of the Lord, listen first, but second, speak. Second, speak, right? Again, the exhortation isn't to just shut up. We do gather to worship God. We gather to address God, to speak with our songs and our prayers. We, each other, we address each other. When we worship God, there is a time to speak. And this is as God has designed. It's just important to realize that God cares about how we speak and what we speak in the house of the Lord. Look at verse 5. Solomon says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. A vow is a spoken thing, right? It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. So if you think back in, in Israel, and if you went to the temple and experienced the worship of God that must have just been overwhelming if your heart was in the right place. You can imagine someone being inspired to make a vow as a response to God in his glory, to make a promise, maybe that you would return with a sacrifice for God, or maybe you would return with extra tithes, or maybe you would make some promise to do some service for the temple. What Solomon is saying here is, when you go to the house of God to speak to God, mean what you say. Just mean what you say. Don't tell the temple messengers when they come to you based on what you promised and what you communicated in your response to God that it was a mistake. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Why should God be angry at your shallow and untrustworthy flip-flopping, making promises but never keeping them? Words. Don't be like a dream. There's this thing about dreams and, and words, which I think essentially is, it, it means like, you know how, how you have a dream? And sometimes they're amazing, like, have you ever like discovered treasure or like a bag of cash in a dream? You know what I mean? And in that split moment, like you actually think it's true. Like your heart is like, oh my gosh, I'm rich, right? But then what happens the moment you wake up? It vapors away. It's gone. It's vanity. So don't let your words be like that. That they're just, they're just not to be counted on. When you say something to God in the house of the Lord, when you, when you respond to him and make a commitment, then mean what you say. So obviously Solomon is confronting the casually duplicitous, the talk out of both sides of your mouth guy, the overpromised but underdeliver man or woman. You make a promise to God, but you forget it the moment your tires leave the parking lot. I think what we need to see is that God cares about this. He cares about the things that we say to him. Say what you mean and mean what you say. That's the point. He cares about a, a kind of integrity that honors him by following through with what we told him to be true. So in the Old Testament, a woman named Hannah could not have children. She went to the temple 
and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And eventually she made a vow, if you give me a child, God, I will give him to you. And God heard that prayer. And after Samuel was born and weaned, this dear mother gave her only son to the service of the Lord in the temple. Which is where Samuel grew up, not in the home of his family. But the result of a promise made and a promise kept to God by his mother. And then in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira gave the impression that they were giving all of the proceeds of the land that they sold to the Lord. And maybe it was the fulfillment of some sort of a promise that they made, either to the church or to themselves. They had seen Barnabas do something like this. But it wasn't true. They lied. They lied to Peter, but really they lied to the Holy Spirit, to God. And God cares. And they both dropped dead separately and received the judgment of God. They were taken out to be buried, not because they didn't give in the first place, and not because they couldn't have picked how much to give in the first place, but because they lied. They let their mouths lead them into sin in the house of the Lord. Like if we gather to listen first, then maybe this is that part when we've heard from God, and in this moment, we determine to apply what he said to our lives. Maybe inspired by God's voice. You hear his, 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 his voice to you and his, his spirit impressing something on you and your life. Maybe you make a commitment to him about how you want to change or how you want to respond specifically. Maybe you're convicted and you tell God in this moment in his presence as a result of all that he said, no more of this in my life and no more of that in my life. Lord, I want to honor and please you and I commit to you, fill in the blank. The point is, do that. Do that. Because it matters to God. It matters to God. The commitments that we make to him. Maybe you've made commitments to attend faithfully. Maybe you've made commitments to give. Or maybe you've made commitments to serve in specific ways in the church. I know that all of the members here have committed to some of these things together, certainly to participate financially, to, to serve using the gifts that God has given to us for the building up of the body. We've committed to, to pursue community together. Here's the question, are you doing it? Are we doing it? Did we say what we mean and mean what we say? you a man or a woman of your word? And, and by the way, not the word that's on a paper that you passed in to a pastor. But if that represented commitments that you were making before God, with regard to the house of God and the church that he's called us to, like a living temple being built up together, Solomon's wisdom for us is it would be better to not make the promise than to make the promise and not keep it. Don't you love that proverb where even a fool is considered wise when he keeps quiet, <laughs> right? 
There's hope for us all, right? You just be quiet. That's what Solomon is getting at. So we listen first when we go to the house of the Lord. We speak second, for sure, in all these ways that God has designed for us to worship him. We have gathered to worship God and to address God with our prayers, with our songs, with our our heart commitments to him as he speaks to us. We do speak, but third, we fear God always. We fear God always. Listen first, speak second, but fear God always. This text began in verse 1 with this exhortation to guard your steps when you enter the house of the Lord, which is really interesting. Again, it just puts that that note, that flavor of sobriety, right? Be careful, take care. This is a serious thing that's happening. And then in verse 7, Solomon says, God is the one you must fear. So listen first, speak second, but fear God always. In the end, if, if in going to the house of the Lord, we intend to meet with God, the God who is, the God who reigns above the sun, then we must do so with reverence, with what the Bible calls the fear of God. And why I asked that at the beginning. And this brings us to this wonderful and complex idea of the fear of God. I'm not sure that I've completely wrapped my mind around it. I do, I do know that I've, I've studied it a lot and understand that, that the fear of God encompasses a number of things. Certainly the reality that God is, is both approachable, but is simultaneously holy, that he is tender and affectionate and yet glorious and fearsome beyond what we can imagine. God is transcendent. He is high above all things in every aspect, and yet he is near to us. He came to dwell among us. And throughout the entire Bible, we see this this idea of the fear of God play out, that God so desires to condescend to us, to be near to us, to, to have his presence and glory dwell in the exact middle of his people. And yet, it was filled with the glory of God, and if you worshiped in a strange way, you could die. So there's a simultaneous invitation toward the heart of God and toward the tenderness of God and toward the welcome of God, which is true. And yet with this this simultaneous reverence and awe, how amazing that God Almighty would condescend to show up in a bush in a fire. And the bush was not consumed. To have an experience an appointment with the God of the universe in that setting is inc- incredible. The hereness of God, the nearness of God exists throughout all of the pages of Scripture. But what did God say at that appointment as well? Take off your sandals because the ground that you are standing on, that I am inviting you into to speak to you, is holy ground. The fear of God lives in that space, right? This space of of powerful affection and drawing near to God with confidence and boldness, now because of Christ, without losing the sense of wonder and awe at the glory and holiness of God. 
who sits on that throne of grace to which we have access. The fear of God lives in this place. So when we go to the house of the Lord, you just get the sense that, that there should be no casual flippancy. But instead, we should all fear God, embracing that, that entire reality that it's he who invites us and it's he who wants to speak to us and it's he who draws near to us. And yet he is glorious and holy and powerful beyond what we would ever imagine. It's the fear of God then that drives our desire to listen first. It's the fear of God that drives our desire to fulfill our responses and promises that we have spoken to him. We go to the house of the Lord. In the end, he is the one who should be huge in our eyes. When you go to the house of the Lord, it's not about you. It's not ultimately about your experience or your preferences. It's certainly not just a thing to do. Look, we all, we all go places, and then we do something, and then we leave. It's our life. You go to a restaurant, you eat, and then you leave. You go to the doctor, you get checked out, and then you leave. So what happens in the in-between of you go to church, and we're all going to leave in a little bit, how do you fill in that middle section? Is it huge with God? Is it, is it pregnant with expectation and excitement that it is he with whom we have to do? Or does it get filled in with other things? At, at best, good things that we enjoy, we like to sing, we like to see people, we like to be encouraged. At worst, it's just a thing to do on a Sunday. What protects us all is the idea of the fear of God. The fear of God when we come to him. I think when you think about it, you see Solomon confronting the recreational worshiper, right? And again, how sad that that there are churches that exist to produce that. Simply an experience. Market research that might grab your attention and, and make it last longer. The recreational worshiper is confronted with an appeal and a reminder about who we approach when we come to the house of the Lord. I hope you're not a recreational worshiper, that this is all just something to do. He also confronts, I think, the professional worshiper, or the poser, I guess you could say. And this is the one who thinks that you can act the part at church, you can play the part, you can do the stuff, you can perform the show. But of course, Jesus says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. 
says in the Old Testament, I, I hate your sacrifices. I'd rather you just, just stop it. If your heart's not in it, it's a dangerous hypocrisy because you're leading people to believe that it's all about me. But in the end, it has nothing to do with me. That's not, that's not the thing to do or the way to think when coming to the house of the Lord. I think he confronts the church complainer, right, whose inner words are all you hear, the rash words inside your own head that distract you from anything that God might be saying to you. He confronts all of these things, but at the same time, he invites us all to the true worship of God. The true worship of God. I think it's actually the book of Hebrews that helps us to apply all of this as we close. So there was a day when Jesus himself pointed to the temple. And he said, tear it down, and in three days, I will raise it up. And he meant certainly in his death and in his resurrection for the sins of the world that brought salvation to you and me. And when Christ was on the cross and when he breathed his last, you remember what happened in the temple? The veil of the temple was torn in two. And access to God Almighty changed forever because of Jesus and his work on the cross. So then Hebrews 10 tells us this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you hear the invitation? Do you sense the confidence? Do you hear the affection? Our Father, Jesus told us to pray, right? But then our Father who art in heaven, let's not forget who reigns over all. So then Hebrews 12 says this, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Amen? This is the invitation. Tender, trembling, trust affectionate awe, confident drawing near with reverent honoring of who God is. This is what we're called to when we're going to the house of the Lord. So, as the worship team comes, I just wonder if you can ask yourself the question and think, what has God said to you this morning? as we have gathered in his presence, to listen first. Certainly now to speak, if there's a response that is developing in your own heart. Maybe there's a conviction that's forming with how you've approached church anymore. And in this moment, God is graciously showing you that because he loves us. He loves us. He wants to purify our hearts 
as we worship him. Maybe it's returning to a, a God-centeredness of your experience, a God-greatness. Maybe you're convicted because, because church has become routine and the drive-in is no different than driving to the store or driving to the doctors or driving to the movie theaters. Maybe in all of this, God wants to shape us to realize how gracious and kind it is for him to invite us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to worship him, to exalt him, and to encounter him, to hear from him, to see our lives transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Amen? What is God saying to you? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you indeed would show us all something. Lord, even for the person here who, who isn't following you, is curious and and yet there's an ache in their heart right now for access to a God who loves them, a Father who knows and sees them. Lord, I pray this, this man or this woman would, would come to faith in Christ because of your great love for them. And for all of us, just help us to be people who love your voice, who love your presence, who long for your glory. We long to, to hear from you and respond to you. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.